Well, hello, Sean and Mana. Hi. <laughs> we, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> so we're going to ha- hash through some questions and kind of toss back and forth some ideas. And where we want to start, Mana, is what is it about community college or teaching and learning experiences in general that really keeps you coming back for more? I think the learning experience is a very special thing. I think when you learn something, you just have like two options. You can either learn more or you could teach it to someone. And I think as just like a human being, I really enjoy that. You know, you learn something, uh, you get to communicate that, you get to talk about it with people, you you get to engage in discussions, or you could, you know, kind of like give back to people, teach them and educate them and make sure that they're engaging in conversations and making a change. So I think learning, it's just this amazing thing that, you know, as humans, we've been doing for a very long time and we're still doing it and we will keep on doing it. So um, it's just a great thing. I think that's, I, I think humans just love to do it. You know, it doesn't matter what we're learning. It's just that as long as we learn and we evolve, we just like that. Yeah. And would you say, so that sounds like almost a lifelong value that you hold for learning. Would you say that learning your learning experiences have differed from different um, sort of levels of school that you've navigated or even different institutions? Or is it all just sort of the same, like it's just a love for learning? Um, yeah, I mean, it has changed, you know, when, when I look back and when I was like, a, you know, a little younger, I, I really cared about, you know, learning about celebrities, but oh, yeah. right now I'm in college and I'm learning about, I don't know, physics, mathematics, political science, you know, and it's more interesting to me, you know, you know, just because I'm older now, I have like, you know, different values, but, you know, I've always liked learning. It's just learning about different stuff. So yeah, I think it changes, but I think the love of learning never goes away. You know, you always want to stay, you know, you always stay curious and you you always want to contemplate. And it's just, it's just, you know, something that I think I would always like. Yeah. Cool. So, Sean, how about you? What is it about community college or teaching and learning experience that has you keep coming back for more? There's There's a lot of things that keep me coming back for more. You know, I'm from this community and that always is a driving part of what I do is I feel like I'm serving the community that I'm from. And there are a lot of Miracosa alum that end up working at Miracosa and having that same full circle experience that I have. And that's really cool. And then we also have a good blend of people that are outside of our community that come and join um, the space with us and, and become you know, longstanding members of the community. So that, that's always great as well. But for me, I think the immediacy of impact is really what I enjoy and what keeps me coming back for more. I got into this kind of work because, you know, as you know, when you when you commit yourself to research or like a four year institution, the obligations are a lot different and research is great. I love being a reporter of research, but doing research tends to be a longer process, tends to be something that, you know, there's an end game to it when you get published and, and then, you know, people can argue there's more after that, of course, but I I like that we can put on a workshop next Friday, right. And, and have an immediate impact on the campus community by doing so, you know, you were just at one of the um, panels that I co-facilitated and that I was on with Lauren McFall and 
some other folks uh, about the misinformation, the misinformation yeah. series, and we had our first one. Yeah. And I just really enjoyed being there. And it was like, look, this is timely. This is interesting. People are coming in here with a lot of different perspectives. And we could do that and have something going relatively quickly. Whereas with research, it may be years down the line before you really bear the fruits of all that labor. Yeah. Um, there's a lot in the process along the way. I understand that. But there's something about the community college and the focus on teaching and learning that extends beyond the classroom and into other places on the campus. And yeah, I think that just always wanting to be part of those good conversations is something that brings me back for more. Yeah, that's awesome. Mana, I, this, Sean just made me think of this. Do you, cause, and you're, you're, the, you're the president of ASG. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you find similar opportunities for the kind of thing Sean's talking about? That kind of, hey, we've got an idea. There's this venue. We can do it next month. We can make an impact. We can, is that, is that something that is available to you? Yeah, I mean, that actually happens to me all the time. You know, people reach out and people want to collaborate and they come up with ideas. As the president of the AHG, it is actually my job to kind of organize that and make that happen. I totally agree with Sean. And I think that it's great that we can, you know, exactly do something about it immediately and we can make it happen. You know, we don't need to wait a long time to make it happen. And it's just, you know, for me, it's just like a Senate vote. That's all you need. <laughs> right. And then you're good to go. <laughs> and, and so what? what's one of those experiences that you've had in that role that really got you excited and you felt like after, like, we, we, we were able to accomplish something here and we did some good work? Yeah. So I think uh, the one that I really liked was last year when I was still um, a senator, but I was still in the AHG. And that was when we first hit COVID. We wanted to allocate funds and we wanted to financially support um, some of the organizations on campus. So we just had to bring up the conversation and discuss it. And then we voted on allocating, I think, a total of $20,000 to different organizations. And, you know, that was, you know, super immediate. We just tapped into our reserve funds. And, you know, after, after the Senate vote was approved, we could just like allocate it immediately you just needed to you know you just needed to go through the paperwork and all the all the stuff that you guys know so just knowing that we could do that by attending a meeting and just by voicing our opinions and by voting I think that was really good and you know seeing that kind of pushed me to come back for more and I was like okay you know I was a senator maybe I can be the president next year and yeah Fantastic. still the president <laughs> nice. that's great Thank, thank you. That, that, that is a really, really good example and good story of that immediacy of impact, and especially during a crisis. Um, what about you, Curry? What, what keeps you coming back for more? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say this, but you both have me, have me thinking it. Self-governance and shared governance is pretty badass, you mm -hmm. know, um, right? And, and I know it also comes with a ton of responsibility and, and, and a workload, right? But, but just setting that to, to the side for a second, you know, when this has happened to me countless times, you know, just, just a, a, a random hallway conversation catching up with a colleague that then leads to uh, identifying an issue that then leads to a, we should do something about that. And, and immediately I, I know a committee I can go to, I, I, I have resources that are available, we can get the ball rolling, we can make things happen. That, and, 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 you know, so when I, when I 
you know, go home from work. Um, it, it means I'm thinking about stuff still. And so, so I have that on my mind, but I get excited. Like, like I, I'm a part of something and I'm, my voice is heard here. I'm very privileged, right. To be part of a political process that can get things done. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And I, I don't know if that's exclusive to community colleges, but, but certainly the way that shared governance works, works at Maricosta, I feel that we have that, that power, which is pretty awesome. And what, what, what's one of those times? When, when did that happen? You know, I think you're thinking of something maybe specific there also. Well, I mean, yeah. So, uh, and not getting into the weeds too much. So, you know, we just recently, uh, recent legislation, AB 705, which really restructured how English departments and math departments work. There was a lot of political pressure. There was, um, you know, institutional pressure it's a law. So we've got to do something about it. And I think one, one potential response to that legislation was just to accept it and just sort of do what we're told. But through subcommittees, through, through uh, other committees, through the Senate, I've been able to work with folks to really kind of, yes, the law makes sense and we want to practice its spirit, but we're going to do it in a very specific way. And through lots of conversations and negotiations, we, we managed to get to a place where it's not like we got our way and nobody else got their way or we got screwed. It was, you know, through negotiation, we, we got to a compromise that, you know, across faculty, administrators, students, we're not done yet, but, you know, it feels pretty good. So, yes, yeah, so that's one example. I got, so, like I said, I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to talk about governance, but it is badass. <laughs> I think just as a teacher, it's similar to you, Mana. Like I, I just have like a inclination to teach, just a like deep, deep joy for teaching, right? Um, and so, for me, the thing that keeps bringing me back, uh, especially to community college, is just the diversity of our student population, and and knowing that every single semester I'm going to have a class that's just completely different, right? I could have vets. I could uh, veteran, you know, veterans. I could have active duty military. I could have returning students, students straight out of high school, and getting those folks to talk to each other, you know, uh, different ethnicities, different ages, different uh, outlooks on life, just means I'm going to learn something every time. We're going to look at this text in a different way every time. Uh, it's amazing, right? And it's it's totally amazing that this is my job. That this is what I get to do. Yeah. You know, I, I had that down too um, when we were thinking about these prompts. And the idea that, I mean, for Mono, it's probably different for you at this stage because you're <laughs> taking a variety of classes, right? You're getting a variety of instructors. I'm teaching a lot of the same things semester to semester, but the audience is always different. And these are, you know, I always try to remind myself, yeah, I've taught this maybe hundreds of times, but this is the first time I've taught it to this group. And that gives me the enthusiasm um, that I need to really try to make it the best time, right? Every time, instead of just like, I'm doing this lecture again. And, and it really encourages me to be innovative and be creative in the way that I do that, which really ties back to what we were talking about with what I hear you both saying is there's agency and autonomy in the work that we do. And those are things that like people really desire. And, and a lot of people in other lines of work don't feel like they have that. They're like their, their voice doesn't matter. You know, there's no self-governance. There's, this is what you are told to do. And, you know, we can replace you if you 
do not like what we already have going on. Right. So I think that that's really important. And the freedom that I do have in my job to, for the most part, besides the times that I have to be in class and make my own working hours and, and, and um, develop assignments and activities and discussions and all of that kind of, and select content. And those are all my decisions. And I love that process of creation. And, and I think that that's something that's very sacred to me. And, and I don't, you know, I, I love seeing what other people do, but it's just as an inspiration for me to get my creative flow going and, and not really, you know, I, I don't like using other people's stuff because I feel like that's their stuff. And, and I would be denying myself that, that creative process in a lot of ways, if I were to just say, oh, this is kind of ready made for me and let me just implement it. Yeah. So Mona, how so so Sean's describing academic freedom, right? And and as instructors in our departments, not every department and not every institution do we grant teachers that degree of academic freedom. But how do you feel as a student in the classes you're taking? Do you feel like you have academic freedom to kind of push on boundaries and kind of go in directions that you're finding interesting? Are you are you finding yourself sort of in a box or confined in certain ways? Well, that's a tricky question because it, it really depends, you know, instructors are different and I'm usually not the person who, <laughs> you know, is like bringing a lot of new things to the table, not stuff that are not, you know, stuff that are in, already on the syllabus or, you know, I'm usually not like that. I usually like stick to whatever is being presented. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but I feel like I've met a lot of instructors that are actually open. So um, they don't mind if you bring something new to the table and they don't mind you expressing uh, new or fresh ideas or, you know, just talk about your different perspectives. So um, I think that's good. I I've never had an encounter where I had to, you know, limit myself or say something. But at the same time, I still think it varies, you know, depending on your instructor. Yeah. Yeah. I Can I ask a follow up question there? What is your preference though? It, it, if if an instructor does give you a variety of, like you can make a video or write an essay or write a poem or however you want to demonstrate your learning, do, do you prefer having those options or are you like, can you please tell me what you're looking for here so that I can you know structure my time and, and my effort in a kind of a more streamlined and efficient way? You know, cause I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both, yeah? That's true, that's true. Um, I actually love options. You know, I just love to get creative and just, you know, um, present the material in my way. You know, I feel like when you do that, it's just something that you identify with and it's like a part of you. You're kind of presenting that to your instructor and the whole class. So I love having options. I, I feel like, you know, it makes you more happy. Uh, it makes you more creative. And, you know, you never know. You may explore a side of you that you never knew was there. So I like having options. Yeah, oh, that's cool. I, I remember as a student, uh, upper division coursework, I was taking a mythology and folklore class. And the I think it was, it was either the midterm or the final. It was like a 10-page paper where we had to pick a story and analyze it from a perspective that we studied, you know, some fairy tale or, or, or myth. And, but I went to the professor and I said, you know, I can do this and it's interesting, but actually I, I have an idea to write a, a folk tale. Would you be cool with me if I just wrote a story instead of chose one that was already there and analyzed it? And she was like, 
yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Go for it. Whatever. Like, we'll you know, like, it was, so we negotiated this like space and I think because I had her support and she knew I was really invested in it, like it worked, it fit, it fit the outcome. So I, yeah, I valued that. Wait, did you have to analyze your own story though? No, I, I can't remember how we figured that out. It might've been like in an office hour where like she had read it and then I kind of spoke to, you know, here's the, here's the things that, you know, the tropes of folk tales and that I was going for and how it fits and blah, blah, blah. I think that's how we did it. That's so cool. I'm glad that there was space for that. I was just thinking if you did have to analyze your own, you know, your own story. And if the instructor was like, no, you're way off. That's not, yeah. what, <laughs> not what the author meant by that. <laughs> and you're like, wait. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Mythology and folklore. I wish I taught a class that sounded as cool as that one. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm like, I teach social problems. And then it's like, people are like, oh, this. <laughs> come out of here feeling like shit you know wow. and we mostly do we mostly do mythology and folklore feels like i'm going somewhere like i have like wings and i'm like yeah in an open space <laughs> i don't even know what i'm trying to describe but yeah. no i got you i got you but the, the <laughs> truth is lit classes we we only ever assign wholly depressing things to read number one and then folk tales and mythology everybody dies kids get maimed there's there's no yeah I mean, no, no good, <laughs> no good, none of it. So, so these are the things that draw us to teaching and learning experiences, and 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 in some cases specifically to community college. What would you say is something that's making that thing harder than it should be? So, you know, um, so a love for learning, just a, a real um, pleasure uh, uh, experience with learning. What's making that harder than it needs to be? Um, right now, Mana, and, and then maybe we can figure out, we can jump around, what, what can we do about that? I think, you know, when, when I hear community college, the first thing that always comes to my mind is like the population and how it's always smaller than a university. And when I think about it, I'm just always thinking about opportunities. We have maybe less people who kind of are campus partners Therefore, we would have like a smaller network. I don't know that that that's the kind of thing that always comes to my mind. And I think that a lot of the times they don't invest in community colleges as, as much as they do in four year universities. So I wish that that could change. And then we could have like more campus partners, bigger networks and just more investment in the community college in general. Yeah, yeah. And so does that include things like it, the fact that it's mostly like a commuter school? In other words, we don't have dorms. We don't really have a community yeah. mm -hmm. around the college as much as, you know, these larger campuses do. Yeah, that's very true. I was actually thinking about dorms, too. Yeah, uh, we don't have that. Students just come and go. I feel like just not having dorms kind of keeps people from socializing and just wanting to get engaged. So I think, you know, just if you have a dorm, then you know you're going to stay there. So therefore, you, you, you're going to start socializing and you're going to start um, getting to know people and, you know, see, okay, there's this guy or girl next to my dorm. So let me talk to her. Yeah, I've seen her in my class or I've seen him, I don't know, at the cafeteria. So, you know, you kind of like push yourself to get to know people. And I think it's very effective. Mm -hmm. But here uh, at the community college level, we don't have that. And I think it's not necessary, but I think it's a good thing for for students. You know, you would have like a better student experience. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You know, Mana, that it's 
I think it's sort of the nature of community college, right? It's it's many many people look to community college as a stepping stone towards something or uh, something they can fit into what they're already doing, like a night class or something like that. And so the very nature of what community college offers also means that it's a little um, fragmented, right? In terms of how that community actually meets each other and networks together. So that's that's a really interesting. Um, yeah, well, I want to loop back to that and kind of push on that a little bit more, explore it. I think what's making so these great experiences that I have in my classes where, you know, folks from totally different walks of life can come together and look at a text and have a rich conversation. The thing that's making that really hard right now is fucking canvas. <laughs> it's that to do list, man. And I was just having a conversation with my colleagues in, in my department. And, and the way my colleagues frame this is we're reducing you know, we're decontextualizing learning with these to-do lists. Everything is transactional, right? And yeah. so a student that comes into Canvas, some of my students aren't even coming into my course to look at the homepage. They're just looking at a dashboard that lists all of their assignments for the week. And so this, this idea of decontextualizing, there's an assignment that's right next, so an English assignment that, next to, that is next to a business assignment, right? Mm -hmm. They're not related to each other except for the fact they're both due on Wednesday. My student <laughs> clicks on it and misses how I've framed it, how a reading is sort of linked, you know, sort of contextualizing it. I've got those links in the assignment and the question I'm asking forces them to go back and look at it. But because they're doing that before or after business and they don't have time to look at what their classmates have done in that space, it's just, it's just an in to get out kind of move that ruins the experiences that, you know, I, that brings me back all the time, you know, to the classroom and fires me up as a teacher. So that I'm really struggling with canvas right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't like canvas. <laughs> brings me back to our trailer. Oh, yeah. ah, canvas. That's there on purpose. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah I, I have a different one. I think there's a cognitive distortion, you know, that's going on where folks are <laughs> There's two things, especially in the work of faculty, and, and I know I fall victim to it, so I'm, I'll speak from my own experience that um, I think I'm better at things than I really am. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, and that's what makes the job harder. I'm like, I could handle a budget and a grant. No, Sean, you can't. No, <laughs> you have no skills in that area. Now you have a $100,000 grant. You don't know how to report you got into this type of teaching so you didn't have to look at spreadsheets. Now you're on here for six hours where it would take yeah. someone else too. Right. So, and I think it's, you know, uh, uh, when somebody's really good at something, we think that they're good at other things too. Yeah. And I, I, I think that we're using talent in places they're not best used. And it's cool to like branch out and see if you like or are good at other things. I think that's important to learning. But what's even more important is learning where you shouldn't be and where we have people who are um, stronger in those areas and can compliment you while you are really strong at what you're strong at and they may not be able to thrive in that same area. Does that make sense? Totally, yes. And so I think that makes our job much harder because we, we, we put people in positions and then we put ourselves in positions where we're not gonna be able to provide the best service based on our talent, skills, knowledge, and abilities. And I think 
in my experience, so I, I would look at exactly this problem and, and, and see another side to it. And it's, it's, I'm really bad at delegating and I've, I've learned about myself that I need to get better at delegating. So I'll, I'll get into a position of, you know, where it's kind of a leadership role or just I'm tasked with something and I'll just try to do it on my own, just in, you know, and I've got some strengths and I've got some flaws, but what I'm not very good at is going out to the rest of the team and asking like, these are all the things, the part of the charge that we have to get done. Who's really well suited for this? And, and I'm going to give that piece to you. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't, even on committees that I'm on, it's always like an open, uh, we have this thing to do, who wants to try it? So we kind of raise our hands or run backwards as fast as we can. But I think we could get better at just like targeted delegation, right? So, so who's good, who can fit in? How can we work together, complement each other's strengths, et cetera? Yeah. And I'm sure, Mana, you probably see something similar in ASG where it's like, this person's really good at this. So we need them to do this part, right? But then there's other spaces where maybe even you're like, I shouldn't be the one doing that. And, and, and it goes to this idea, too, of like being the president, there's certain expectations, right? Most of the, well, almost all, if not all of the presidents of the United States that we've had are extroverted people, right? Are people that are very, they can talk. And, and politicians are really good at that. But I always think maybe it would be valuable to have an introverted president that's just like really good at the details and policy and listening to people. And then we can have a talking head president like like two. And then that person can like be the, the, the face, the public facing president while the other one's doing the work that maybe that person's not suited for, right? Because it seems like a job mm-hmm. that not one person can be really great at all of the different things that are being asked. and. Do you find something similar in the role that you're now occupying that like there's a lot of expectations, but maybe we're talking about different skill sets for this one job? I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And it's funny that you mentioned because I was talking about this with my advisors and I was saying like, I'm I'm struggling. (laughs) I'm struggling. I don't know how to communicate with my executives. And the problem that I was facing is that I don't like telling people exactly what to do. You know, I, I'll tell you something and then I, I expect you to know what I mean and to do that for me. <laughs> I don't I don't want to like, you know, um, follow up like every week to say, hey, what are you doing? Are you done with this? You know, it's like I want to assign you a task and then I, I expect you to kind of like um, finish it and just get back to me. But um, <laughs> I've learned that that's not the case. A lot of people are not like that. So just trying to, you know, follow up on a regular basis and just making sure that everyone's on top of things has been really hard for me. And um, I was like, you know what? I wish there was someone that could help me out. I wish there was someone that could do this for me because I feel like I have to do this and it's just not me. That's just not how my leadership style is. So yeah, I totally like the two presidents thing, you know? (laughs) I think we could do that. You know, I'm thinking about it like, you know, maybe that's what the vice presidents do, but I feel like they don't have like the same amount of power that you have. Right. It's definitely different, but I think this is why like on a sports team, you need a coach, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like you you don't let the best player be the coach because it's like, why can't you just do it like me? Like just just be better, right? Um, But, and I know that's not what you're saying, but this example that I'm giving, I'm just saying like the, you, you have to be a little bit removed to kind of see what the strengths and weaknesses are of an organization, of individuals. And then you have to have really good facilitation skills and delegation skills and interpersonal skills to 
move people to the places they need to be so the organization can be as strong as possible. And when you're put into a position of leadership, and I know this is true for us, Curry, and, and probably the same at the student level, you're not given all that context. You're not given that training. You don't know all of that. You're like, I'm president now. I'm chair of this now. What did the last chair do? Okay, I want to do things differently, but I'll probably fall in line with the same thing because I'm overwhelmed now, right? Yeah. I, I think just now I'm a teacher. Like, does that mean I was trained to be a teacher? Does that mean I know anything? <laughs> But I think that's also true of a student. Now I'm a student, right? And and I've sat in desks before and I've carried book bags before. So, and that's all there is to it, right? And what you're making me think of, Sean, is, you know, that question, what can be done about this? I think being more explicit in training each other as we move each other into these roles is something we absolutely could do. And I see that all over the place. I mean, you know, you and I know, Sean, that you know, we can't just assume when we say, write this essay and it's due in two weeks that students know what we mean or, <laughs> or you know, we all have the same idea. It's like, so it's important for us to, all right, for 30 minutes, we're going to, I'm going to train you, right, in, in, in this assignment, in this task, to use this tool to, to understand how to read my prompts, you know, and, and if we don't do that, then we're leaving students behind, right, to flounder. Um, and, and there's always going to be gaps and holes, right? Um, I could... <laughs> And I get frustrated, I'll be honest, like, yeah, I, I'll put out an assignment of the prompt. I did a video. I have a question forum discussion thing that they could, you know, ask questions there, a grading rubric and a student example. And I'll still get the question of, I don't know what to do here. Sure. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that that's the student's fault. Right. There's, they're not the only one experiencing that. It's Cam's fault, is what you mean. It's Cam's fault, <laughs> exactly. And I'm not saying that I'm doing anything wrong because I am actually trying the best that I can with all these different ways. They just need something else, right? This right. goes back to what the purest kind of sense of what equity is, right? Like, like that. that's all great, but I need you to just tell me maybe in a slightly different way before it clicks. Or maybe I need a student to tell me, or maybe I need you know that's someone right. else to tell me, right? And I think there's a lot of value in that, like goes back to what Mono was talking about. I, okay, so you're going to do this. Cool. And then two weeks later, wait, did you do that? And, <laughs> and, and they didn't know what you meant. Right. And, and then there's intimidation because I'm the professor. I remember when James, who's, who's on the show here too, right on the, on the safe topics team, when he was my Sadika intern, students would go to him, you know, for clarification yeah. on assignments. Right. And he's closer, like the proximity, right? Like he's closer to them as a graduate student than I am, certainly as a tenured faculty member. And, you know, I wasn't offended, but there was a feeling, you know, of like, wait, they can't come to me. Right. And then I was like, well, thank goodness they can go to James, you right. know, like the, perfect. This, yeah. this is working out well. So I think yeah. it all kind of fits in. Uh, just a quick bit. Even I didn't know what was going on, so I just said, "Oh, just go talk to Sean." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, but I can't tell him that he's unclear because he's not nice. <laughs> well, so what if when we applied for a grant, Sean, and we got it? No, no, I'm just saying. I'm just oh. saying. Like, what, oh, I thought I'm you were proposing it. it. I'm not I'm ever not doing a grant. No. Okay, all right. <laughs> this is hypothetical. James, James, I think he wants to do a grant thing with you. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, what if the process for uh, applying for grants, after you got it, the first thing that happened was a training? You know what I mean? Like, 
here's how, here's what you do with the grant. Here's how you follow these steps. Here's how you, right. And it was, had nothing to do with what you wanted to actually like accomplish with the thing. It was just training on grant spending and accountability. Like, I don't know if that exists and it should exist. You think? So you're asking me what my reaction would be. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I, well, I thought that's what you were saying. Like, what if? <laughs> well, it was, well, the question originally was what could be done about this? And, and this was what you had. To oh, no, yeah. but you're asking me, well, what if you got, we got the grant and then the training, honestly, I'd be bummed out that I have to go to this training. <laughs> See, this is why I shouldn't be applying for grants. <laughs> okay. All but right. I'm sure it'll be helpful for other people. Sure. <laughs> it does address the problem, but not my personal problem of not wanting to go to the training. Nice. Oh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think could be done about it, Mona? Uh, what, what do about you think? the grant? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. <laughs> what could be done about, you know, the the need to delegate, the need to know more about our roles maybe before and as before we occupy them or as we're coming into them, um, what are gonna be your suggestions for the next ASG president? I guess that's, that, that would be more direct. Yeah. Um, that's a, well, actually we have transition documents. So we usually always talk about what we've accomplished, um, what we had to deal with. So that, that sort of stuff. But in general, I think what really helped me throughout my journey was, you know, First of all, practice. Practice always makes perfect. So I think the more you do it, the more you become um, comfortable with it. And I think time, you just need time. So I think about it, you know, why do ASG presidents only serve about a year? And, you know, I always answer myself. I'm like, you know, because we, we only stay at community colleges, I don't know, maximum of maybe four years. So, you know, um, I get that. But at the same time, I feel like if people have more time, they can kind of, um, learn new things and, you know, get to practice it a lot. Um, so that's usually what I think. But at the same time, I feel like you should have a passion for it because when you have a passion, it doesn't matter if you don't have that amount of time or that amount of expertise. You can just, you know, do it um, on your own and you can learn and you can ask people. And I know I've seen it that people are willing to help. So, you know, you, ju you just need to really want it and just you have to be passionate about it. And it get, well, that gives you the energy to get through even the times that maybe aren't the most fun, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such a good point about time too. And I think that absolutely applies to teaching and committee work and, and everything else. Right. So, and, and I think it's, it's something that I often think about when it comes time for, for us to ask for our classes for the next semester, Sean. Yeah. Uh, I think about, okay, especially because I'm in charge of our online, everybody's online now, but so, you know, in normal times, our online mm -hmm. uh, program, I think about who's new to online teaching and are they still interested in it? And it's totally fair if you're like, I gave that stuff a try and I'm, I'm out, cool, whatever. But, but if you've tried it, you should have time to work at it, right? I mean, it's so much labor to build a course online and on, on ground too. And, and it's important, I think, that we think about, especially for associates, that opportunity to continue to invest in the skills you're developing, the, the training you're a part of, and then see a product, right? Be able to actually do that in the classroom with students. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's the time to work on it though, right? And, and I think it goes to this, the other things we've talked about where your obligations kind of, you're pulled in these other directions. You're not always afforded the time to focus on improving your online teaching. 
right. you know, and, yeah. and I think that becomes difficult for folks. And then we fall into the trap of we did it so we can do it, which I think is what you're trying to avoid, right? right. By saying you did do it. Yes. But let's let's make sure we're always trying to get better here, you know, no matter what Canvas is going to do to us, right? Right. Uh, so it, it kind of makes me think like, I don't know, do, do y'all get this in, in your spaces? Like, I'm confident while I'm teaching, but then bef- right before and definitely after, I'm questioning everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, but in the moment when I'm actually there, I'm like, I think nobody would say that that person's intimidated or nervous or anything, but James again could probably speak to this because right mm-hmm. after class, I'm like, how do you think today went? You know? <laughs> and I was just like really getting into the the lesson for the day. And then I would, I would turn to James and say, I don't know. Did that go okay? Like, are we? And every time that confidence you talk about, it was always there. The kid, I mean, the students would look at you and be like, Oh my gosh, I could just tell like, information is so great and I'm like I'm looking at you you're doing you're doing your thing and of course after class we'd walk into the cafeteria <laughs> that right or did I do this or I'm like what are you talking about that was amazing so no yeah you're right you're good <laughs> and I think that goes to what you're talking about with the passion that carries us through Mana because I feel it while I'm doing it but I think another way of demonstrating that passion is that need for that feedback, like, and not just, not just good feedback. Like I would really press James, like, no, you need to tell me if I'm not doing something (laughs) well, or if I'm not addressing certain students or I'm neglecting parts of the room, you know, those are the things I really want to know because I can't see that, you know, and I, I feel like I need an extra set of eyes to see that. And I'm not saying it gets to the point where I'm like, really down on myself about all of this, but I do want to, I don't want to get to a point where I'm not asking that question anymore. I guess that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't want the, you never want that. (laughs) That's not a good place to be in. Yeah. And I think confidence is pretty important too. I I also tutor math at the math learning center. So I kind of know a little bit about teaching, not that much, you know, but I just know that, you know, you're kind of delivering that information to the student. You just want to make sure that they're having the best experience. And I also agree that, you know, confidence is pretty important because they should trust you. If they see you confident in your role, they're going to be like, oh, they know something. They, they know what they're talking about. You know, I don't have to worry about um, receiving, I don't know, wrong information or sure. um, something like that. So I totally agree. Yeah. I'm still terrified before a class, like butter, not just butterflies in my stomach, but like, why am I a teacher? Like, why did I ever think I do this? <laughs> I'm telling you, Curry, I, when, well, when we used to drive to campus, yeah, I'd be driving to campus in that terror, right, yeah. that you're experiencing. <laughs> and I would just say, today, you're an actor, Sean, just, yeah. just, just, what, what do you think a good professor looks like? Just be that just, you don't even have to really do it. You don't have to really feel it. Just pretend for right now, just so you can get through this, because you're going to have to go and do it, you know, yeah. and I don't think and Mana, you couldn't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think students know that. that that's that's how I'm coming into class or that's how we're, we could be um, experiencing, you know, that imposter syndrome. Right. I'm actually very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea instructors felt that way. So good to know. My inner monologue to calm myself down is I don't have to be funny. I don't have to sound smart. <laughs> all I have to do is give them what they need so they can write the next essay. That's all they fucking care about. That's all they need from me. 
just focused on that right and then if i can actually calm down then we're having a good time and you like you sean usually like once we greet each other and, and i got the thing going and they start talking i'm just i'm just there right i'm in in the moment it's good but um, it's a real thing and Mara, when you hear this these are people with degrees these are people yeah. with tenured <laughs> status these are people that you know these faculty members on campus they're they're the ones in front of the room right and you know, we heard on um, one of our previous episodes, Jade Hidla was on, uh, Dr. Jade Hidla, and she, you know, is one of the most brilliant people I know. And she said, I'm afraid of getting fired every single day. And for her to feel that way, it's just like, out of anybody, we need you, Jade. Like, you know, <laughs> you are so talented, so invested in, in the teaching process, so committed to DEI efforts. I, I I would not imagine that would be the person I would think would be the furthest from worried about their job status. So this is this is a, a problem that's pretty prevalent, right? Yeah, and for lots of reasons, right? And and I think we've had quite a few discussions on this podcast that point at why different faculty will feel those feelings, right? But then you know this came up earlier, so I've, I'm definitely an introvert, right? I'm the one for whom conversations tend to drain me. But I'll tell you what, in my mind, one of the things that does make me the most nervous, especially about the beginning of a semester, is thinking about 30 students in my class, 25 to 30 students in my class, and how I, I'm responsible, right? I'm that, the, the, the next step in their, their you know, ex- journey through college, and am I going to fuck that up, right? And, and, yep. and like, I, these, are, these are human beings with goals and lives, and so... I got to get out of my own way. And it's that kind of thinking that, that I don't know if it's always the best mindset to be in because I don't know how productive it is, right? But the process that we're talking about, Mana, like the, the, oh, let's always ask the question. Let's always make sure we're in a position to grow and to, to be more inclusive, uh, our class is more accessible. Yeah, I think that's, that's a healthier way to, to feel these feelings. <laughs> yeah, I feel like because when you stop doing that, when you stop asking the, those questions, it's like you stopped caring and you don't right. want to do that. You know, yeah. you, you always want to be like, Hey, you know, I care about you. So that's why I'm a little nervous. Cause I want to make sure that I'm delivering in the best way possible. So I think it's healthy, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just, you got to take the good with the bad. <laughs> you know? That's so true. Do, do, do you ever, I mean, ASG president, successful student, do you ever question like, what am I doing here in college or what am I doing here as a, a community college student? Are you, uh, do you have any of that? Yeah. I mean, you know, every time that I'm about to start a Senate meeting, I ask that and I'm like, you know what, I can just be pretty cool about it and not care and just end up the meeting like, you know, super quick. Uh, or I can, you know, care and I could listen or, I, you know, I could stay after the meeting and talk to people who want to talk. So I always have that conversation. And then, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I wish I was more selfish. <laughs> I wish this was better. But, you know, it's just, it's just not who I am. So I do care and invest. So, but yeah, I think it's just something that, you know, you're constantly like, I don't want to say battle, but you're constantly like thinking about it. And it's always up to you to choose, you know, to care whether or not to care. So what does the community college promise to students and teachers? And maybe you could start us off with this one, Curry. So I think and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about the, just the commuter sort of nature of, of college, community college. I think what, what community college really promises to students is accessible, inexpensive access to 
higher education or, or more gainful employment or current skill sets, right? I think that's, that's ultimately the, kind of the purpose of community college, right? It's that, it's that it is meant to be a, a step. And, and, it's, and I think an, a very empowering one um, when that promise is actually actu actualized, right? How about you, Mana? What, what do you think of when you think of what, what is it that community college pr promises to students or teachers? You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is just affordable courses. I think that's very important. I think there are a lot of people that just can't afford enrolling in a four-year university, and this allows them to do that, or at least, you know, allows them to save some money um, before they transfer. So I think that's really good. I do think that, you know, we have smaller classes, therefore we get more interactions and we get, you know, we kind of get to learn a little bit, I don't want to say better, but just more in, you know, we, we get to learn a subject more in depth by having those conversations and by engaging more with our instructors. Because, you know, if you look at a class in a four-year university, I know maybe a hundred people can fit into a class. And then, you know, sometimes the TA comes in and they, you, you don't even see your instructor. So I think just having that option to kind of like communicate with your instructor and just have those conversations is really valuable. I think you have a smaller community and that is also really good because you have like this little family, you know, right now when, you know, when we were back on campus, when I would walk, I would see a lot of familiar faces. So I would recognize them and I could have like conversations and um, I would feel good about it. You know, I was like, you know, I know my college. I know the people that work in it. So I think that's also really good, you know, just being familiar with the people that work there and just recognizing a lot of faces that can be that can be really nice. So, you know, you don't feel like alienated or you don't feel lonely because when you're in a four year university, you have like this like very large campus that can be intimidating at times. So yeah. I think the whole environment, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's, it's that's a it's a hard question. Yeah. I think that you know, when. When we use the word promise, and it's been used lately to talk about the agreement between high schools and the community college and how there's tuition free and, and if you meet these requirements, right? If, you, if you're a full-time student, which most of our students are not, if you maintain this grade point average, right? Yeah. I mean, that doesn't sound like a promise. That sounds like a negotiation. Exactly. And... To me, what the community college promises its teachers and students is, we'll try. We'll try, you know, like we can't really promise a better life. We can't promise you're going to learn anything. We can't even promise you'll feel like you're part of a community, but we'll try all of those things. Right. And, and we'll do a bunch of different things to show that we're trying that, that, to get those things accomplished. But you're entering an institution and institutions can be very beneficial for those that are well suited for that institution. And an institution can be very harmful and dangerous to people who are not. And so if you are, you know, a really brilliant lecturer, but you're not really good at getting along with other faculty members, it can be hard to get a full time tenure track job. Yeah. So we promise you that you you could teach, but yeah. we're not going to give you full rights into this club right and you know as a student too you could be very good at some things but you know if you are experiencing hardships that we have yet to come up with 
solutions or potential solutions for, then you're going to experience the inequities that are in our blind spots. And we're, you're probably going to fall through the cracks in some ways at our institution. And it may be a harmful experience to you. And it may turn you off to higher education altogether. And, and we see a lot of the stories, you know, we, we celebrate the stories of what we call success. Yep. And we promise to do that for right. sure, right? right? Like you come from nothing and you end up going, transferring to Berkeley, we'll, we'll put you on the side of the bus. There's so many stories that I want to tell and that I want to know about that aren't going to be on the side of the bus. And I think when we are questioning, uh, you know, when we're trying to make a commitment and a promise to students and to teachers, we need to be really careful because I think that the, the, again, the promise is there will be an attempt, there will be effort, but outcomes, I wouldn't dare promise that. And what you're saying is really the promise is made, made by a student to the institution. In other words, it's not, it's not the community college saying, I promise you a degree over the, that's inexpensive, take as long as you need to get there. It's you promise us, the student promise us, promise us your time, promise us your labor, promise your commitment to, to these classes in this sort of segmented schedule or else, right? Or else you can't access the, the, the tuition-free you know, uh, uh, promise, right? You can't access um, that degree eventually because when life interrupts you, you're going to get so overwhelmed that to do the coursework is just to add to all your, you know, what you already are, are carrying. And so, yeah, so I think what, where I started is the idealized, right? Community college ought to be about serving that community, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it should, whatever it takes, what can we offer, right? But I think where we've gotten, yeah, like I think the way you framed it, uh, uh, Sean, inequities and blind spots, that's what we're realizing right now, right? These, not that these are ill-intended in, uh, initiatives, but they no. have blind spots that are, are causing harm. Yeah. I, I, well, I want to be clear. I think people do the best they can. And I think yeah. the intentions are great, but the stratification is real. You know, exactly. like we still, like we prioritize students. We say like the, we prioritize enrollment, yeah. we prioritize a lot of different things. And we stratify people in a lot of different ways. We have associate and full-time faculty. We have tenure track and tenured faculty. We have administrators and we have staff. Like this is a system that you cannot make it equitable. That's not yeah. possible because of the way that it's set up. And I'm not saying that it's not justified in the way that it's set up in a lot of ways. I'm just saying when your goal is in direct conflict with the structure of your organization, then you are going to be running in circles and the goalpost is always going to be moving. Yeah. Anna, what does that make you think about? Respond. Yeah, <laughs> it's really interesting because I never thought of it like that. I don't know. I feel like, you know, when, when you're bringing it up, I feel like it's very obvious. I, you know, you think that people should know that by now. And I honestly don't know how you guys would go about that. Thinking about it, I want to come up with an answer, but I don't. I, I don't know how we do that because I've never been in a position to to think about that or to figure that out. So, well, and it takes you know? Back, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it takes us back to kind of where we started with, you know, one of the great things about our college uh, is our, is, shared governance, right? And mm -hmm. how we're empowered as decision makers. And I, and I think we're all grappling with this stuff right now, Mana. Like, I don't know that mm -hmm. we know how to necessarily fix these, these problems. 
I, and I made it sound way more negative, like than I really <laughs> feel about it. Like I, I'm explaining the situation, and I think I just have passion behind my voice. But what what I'm really when I look at the work we do, I'm doing it. I believe in it, and I'm I'm participating. But I think that we need to also be realistic about where we are, you know, and and how what we're trying to accomplish is in conflict with the way that we're set up. Yeah, but it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, so for example, AB 705 is legislation, right? So that was legislation uh, uh, to correct historical injustices that, you know, which, which saw uh, students, primarily students of color, placed in developmental courses so that it would require them years just to get to a transfer class, right? And so that legislation sort of freighted to it was this message of get students in and get them out, like get them through community college, get them onto those cool university pro programs, get them to their whatever it is, get them into the workforce. It's all well-intended. But what we've ultimately done is we're just now restricting choice. We don't offer those courses we used to offer before. And, you know, the students that did benefit from those courses have less access to them. And so you know, sometimes we get frustrated with this like pendulum swing, right? And we often talk about, we reference that, like, like we've overcorrected, we need to go back, but not too far, right? And so I think that's part of, part of shared governance. It's part of res being responsive, always asking the question and wanting to improve. Um, but I think it's real right now, Sean. And I, I think especially in a pandemic, asking, asking students to promise to take five classes so they have access to uh, federal grants and to it, you know, tuition free, classes mm -hmm. um, is just making it impossible, right? And and especially right now, like we should be saying, whatever you need. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think I've I've said this probably before on the podcast, but my favorite types of students are are single moms, you know, that come in and are trying to get their degree a little bit later. Um because uh, because I come from a single mom household and I think that's exactly why I I really appreciate them and and just have a lot of um, admiration for what they're doing and it's like that's not the typical student we would all celebrate that person being there right but if that person has to go part-time they're not going to get the same benefits as somebody who would be able to manage a full-time load Right. And, and if they were to do a full-time load, it would be irresponsible and it would probably impact their learning, if not their performance as well, right? Right. So it, it just, it makes me very, um, it makes me sad, you know, that we, we stratify them in that way. And then at the same time, once they do eventually finish their degree, it's almost like a badge of honor. It took her eight years. Right. And it's like, that's, that makes the story better than four. Sure. I don't know. I don't know right. if it, I don't know if it does. And what, and what were the, all the hardships in the eight years when you get the degree and they're, you know, they're celebrating you at a ceremony. A lot of that gets lost. It may be in the, in the speech, right. It may be in the pamphlet and in the description of, of her journey, but do we need to keep telling those stories? Yeah. Well, what that makes me reflect on is did the institution add to those years or did the institution provide resources that made those years possible, right? And I think that's that that as as a teacher, as um, it's both, <laughs> it's both, it's both, right? But and then you know what's the limits of our agency as as you know members of this of this college? Um, what can we control? What can we control? What would you say, Mana? Um, the ASG promises the student population. 
Good question. Pizza I think on Thursdays? <laughs> Virtual pizza. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the main goal is that we are the voice of students. So we want to have a say in this, you know, we, we want to be heard and, you know, we are students, we're students, we're for the students. And we just want to say that, hey, you know, you can be a part of this college, not just as a student, but as someone who works with other members, works with faculty, staff, administrators. I think that, that that's what we promise is that, you know, um, we promise you to kind of get you to the people that you need to talk to. We promise to um, put you on committees that you will benefit from. We promise to always try and to always, and to always improve our status as students. So we just promise to make sure that students are represented and that they have a voice and that they have a seat at the table, you know, wherever we can. That's great. That's a and good answer. That is a really good answer. <laughs> and I just think about your seat at this table now and representing students there. So it kind of extends to all the things you do for our institution. So it's really great. Thanks. Well, I think I just, I think we just like cause more problems than we solve, but that's okay. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty of it. <laughs> and this might be the first like true safe topics episode, students yeah. and faculty engage topics together, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, we are very excited, Mana, to have you on the team. We look forward to your insights, your perspective uh, uh, in the episodes to come, so. I'm really excited to work with you guys. You guys are the best. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's good. So we'll probably sign off. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear us next time if you keep listening. <laughs> Please. <laughs>this episode is supported by the Miracosa Foundation's Innovation Grant. The Safe Topics podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles promotion, student recruitment, and research. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and safetopics.podbean.com. Find us on Apple and Spotify. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening.